0: FM. Carla McLaren is an award-winning author, researcher, and pioneering educator whose empathic approach to emotions revalues even the most negative emotions and opens startling new pathways into the depths of the soul. She is the author of The Art of Empathy, A Complete Guide to Life's Most Essential Skill, and also The Language of Emotions, What Your Feelings Are Trying to Tell You. Carla has taught at such venues as the University of San Francisco and the Omega Institute. Last time Carla was here, we talked about understanding the importance of your emotions and listening to what your emotions are here to tell you. And today, Carla has agreed to return and we can talk about empathy. Carla, hello and welcome back. Hello, I'm so glad to be here. It's great to have you back. So, you know, last time we talked, we talked about the importance of emotions and Creating um, an understanding, right? Being able to label it and identify what we are feeling. And mm-hmm. um, you wanted to say something off the air, but I won't let you because <laughs> I knew it was going to be important for the listeners. Could you share it with them?
1: Um, I saw a story. My friend Leo sent me a story on io9 today. It says, can you feel something if you don't have a word for it? Mm. And um, this actually... Intersects with some research on um, There there was some research done on People who speak Russian And people in Russia have a number of names For different colors of blue So there's not just light blue and dark blue But, um, you know, entirely different names For light blue and dark blue And as it turns out, people who speak Russian Can see more colors of blue than people who speak English, right? They, they've they learned how to identify it through having words for it. And it is true that if you don't have a word for something, then you tend not to be able to articulate it. Um, you tend not to be able to understand it. I think we've all had things in, in school where we learned um, about, you know, different forms of math or different ways to understand geography that, that, all of a sudden we, our minds opened up, you know, to larger understandings. It's the same with emotions. If you don't have words for your emotions, you're not going to be as intelligent about them or as aware of them as someone who does have words for them,
0: <laughs> which is
1: really important because our emotional vocabulary tends to be very, um, what's, what would be the word? Poor? Stunt, stunted. <laughs> stunted? <laughs> Let's think of more words for stunted
0: <laughs> shut um, off,
1: shut off <laughs> insufficient uh, so we end up um, having a lot of problems articulating our emotions and talking about exactly how we feel and uh, so i think I think it is I think you can feel something if you don't have a word for it. obviously, the emotion is still going to be there, but your ability to work with it is going to be very um not so good.
0: So let's talk about empathy. Mm -hmm. What is empathy?
1: Empathy is so many things. (laughs) Um, While I was writing my book, I couldn't actually get a definition for empathy from the research because they're currently fighting over it. So uh, I got a bit overwhelmed at all of the different ways that people are saying, no, that's not empathy. This is yaha." Of course they say it in scientific ways. <laughs> <laughs> scientific. Um, so I created um, a definition of empathy based on my work as an empath. And also on what a lot of people are agreeing on. There's a part of my definition that goes off from some of the research. So I'll tell you what it is. But here's the definition (laughs) created over many years. (laughs) (laughs) Empathy is a social and emotional skill that helps us feel and understand the emotions, circumstances, intentions, thoughts, and needs of others. This is the part where I, I veer off such that we can offer sensitive, perceptive, and appropriate communication and support. Right? So it's a skill that, helps us be social beings. It's not something magical that we bring out when someone's crying. We use empathy at all times to um, engage with people and to interact with them and to understand their intentions. For instance, you couldn't drive if you didn't have these skills because we um, we are regularly reading the intentions and the emotions of the drivers around us. Um, when they look at us, we know certain things about what they're planning to do. When they refuse to look at us, we know certain things about what they're planning to do, but we don't tend to call this empathy because empathy has been kind of moved off into the realm of, um, what would you call it? Oh, consolation. And they're there now, now, and oh, how are you doing today? And can I help you? But I see empathy as a basic aspect of how we interact in the world.
0: Is is empathy a skill set of being able to um, be an observer?
1: Yes, but also an interaction. It's a, it's an interaction based emotion. You can observe, but also engage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I would say, I would say, it is mostly about interaction. Okay.
0: So there's an observational standpoint, there's an interaction and, um, and a connection, it sounds like, <clears throat> which it allows for connection.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and the place where I veer off, which is where I said such that we can offer sensitive, perceptive, and appropriate communication and support, that is what a number of researchers are fighting about right now, um, especially in neurology. Many researchers are saying empathy is only the capacity to feel and identify emotions and intentions in other people or animals. Um, That's all. That's all we can say empathy is. And they get um, kind of cranky when people say it is also the action that you make after you've read the emotions correctly or the intentions correctly. And then, you know, you do something empathic. And they're saying no. And this is where the the big issue is. So when I say no, it includes the compassionate action or doesn't have to even look compassionate. It can be um, uh, just just driving, you know, you're at a four-way stop. <clears throat> the other person looks at you. There's no words. You look at them and you get the idea that they want you to take it. So you go and then they go. It, that doesn't look compassionate, but it is an empathic action. So, in neurology, though, they've got to they've got to pull things down to the smallest unit so that they can um, so that they can study it, right? Mm-hmm. So they've got right now in neurology, they're focusing incredible amounts of energy on looking at just the time when we pick up an emotion or an intention from another person. They want to know what that's about, and so the rest of it is really unimportant to neurologists but for the for the rest of us who have to live in the world um, it's important to be able to know what to do Mm -hmm. with our empathic abilities
0: okay so there's observing right Mm -hmm. and then there is the interaction that goes Mm -hmm. on which which then it sounds like it's the idea is about the out the connection that can occur between you and other people
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and About the observation, as as we've all seen, you can do a really good job observing, or you can do a poor job and miss the situation. And I think this goes back to having words for emotions or being emotionally aware, is empathy is first and foremost an emotional skill. So if we don't have a very good set of emotional skills in our own selves, and there's an emotion in the room. One, can we read it? Do we know what it is? Are we accurate about it? Two, do we even have a practice for it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if there's happiness in a room, most people are like, yay, happiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I can totally be empathic now. Um, but more difficult emotions for people, say anxiety or anger, um, sometimes people will lose their capacity for empathic um engagement simply because there's an emotion in the room that they don't know how to work with Mm -hmm. or that they don't understand so the observation is really important and so is your own you know our own capacity to work with emotion in ourselves and to understand them
0: and what you said last time in our interview was you know it's so hard like if you don't have a language for and then this emotional thing is kind of it's out there, right? Like it's it's not physically tangible where we can see it. It's something that we can feel, but we've learned how to disconnect. So how do we get this so that we get a more, I don't know if it's concrete, but something that we can really wrap our brains around?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in my book, The Language of Emotions, I actually give each emotion its own chapter. Mm-hmm. And so we t- we look at how that emotion works and, and what it's doing. Why does it come forward? What is its purpose? And then how do we work with it in a way that is uh, emotionally intelligent? Um, and that is a process because for me, I mean, it's a lifelong process because everywhere around us, we hear things about emotions that are like a function of the fact that we don't have very good emotional training and we don't have very good emotional vocabularies. So most of what I hear about emotions out in the regular world, (laughs) I mean, I'm really surprised when someone, um, when someone says something that is really emotionally um, awake and focused Generally, what we hear about emotions is very simplistic. I mean, pre-pre kindergarten simplistic. Uh, these emotions are good, and these ones are bad, <laughs> right? This emotion is right, and this one is wrong. Just you know, binary, the most simplistic, uh, amazingly unhelpful um, ways to look at emotions. So. It is not a surprise that people can have trouble with empathy because because the building blocks of empathy are understanding emotions and being able to work with them, each of them.
0: So is that what comes first, is first is understanding the emotions and being able to label the emotion and then doing the building block of empathy?
1: For me, yes. I wrote, um, I created a model of empathy, a six-part model of empathy, not To make it harder, you know, not to be like we're having homework later, but to break it down so that people understand where they are already really skilled and where empathy falls down for them. And it starts with emotion and it ends up in compassionate action or, you know, some sort of action that that is responsive to what has happened. But it starts with being able to read um, what's going on and to respond to it in a way that keeps your wits about you so that you can be available for the other person and not just falling apart. <laughs> um, so, so it does start, I mean, uh, I start, and this, this is a phrase from the research, and it seems really strange, but empathy starts with emotion contagion. And that sounds really icky. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it is is—it is a phrase from the research. And we, actually, we like emotion contagion. We just don't know it. We love to go and pay good money to have emotion contagion happen. Um, but we don't see it as that. We call it acting. And we call it music. And we call it singing. And we call it dancing right? That we love to go and have an emotional experience with a lot of people. The World Cup, for goodness sake, (laughs) is totally about emotion contagion. And it is like, you know, it is addictive. So we love emotion contagion, as long as we have a choice about, you know, if we like pay the money, and we know, we know we're going to go see this play. If we have an actor in front of us who is not helping us feel emotions, that's a bad actor, right? Um, emotion contagion is very valuable to us, but we tend to hide it. We tend not to know when we're in the presence of it because we don't call it emotion. We call it art or dancing or drama or music. Um, so uh, we already all have a capacity for emotion contagion. We just hide it from ourselves. Um, the next step is to be accurate. It's called empathic accuracy. and. For instance, if 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 I can read your emotions accurately, I can figure out what's going on with you, and I can make decisions based on the emotion that I've read. But if I don't know what emotion you're feeling, i'll be I'll be off of the empathic train right then because I
0: won't be responding to what's happening for you. right? So Carla, that brings up a question I have. So if if empathy is about the other people and reading the other people, where Mm -hmm. do one's own feelings, how does that exist?
1: Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, I think that's a really good question. For a lot of people, empathy looks more like martyrdom than empathy.
0: (laughs) Say more about that. Do you know what I'm
1: saying? It's sort of, I read what is going on with you. I drop every part of myself. And I just become available for what you want. Now that's wonderful if it's something that we've agreed to, and I'm aware that I'm doing it, and then I have a place to go back and take care of myself. And right, it's it's wonderful to engage with people in that really intimate way. Mm-hmm. But not if you don't know you're doing it. Right? It can just make you tired. Um, so a lot of the art of empathy is about learning self-care and learning self-empathy about how to take care of yourself so that your empathy isn't martyrdom. You know, it isn't auto- automatic where you don't even realize you're doing it. And so you don't kind of end up at the end of the day going, wait a minute, I, why am I so tired? You know, mm-hmm. what, what is going on? Another thing that happens with people who do a lot of unconscious, you know, sort of unintentional empathy is that they tend not to allow empathy for themselves because they sort of get into a job, you know, a job description. My job is to make other people feel comfortable. And so my comfort becomes unimportant, Mm -hmm. right? Becomes like not even, not even secondary. It's not even in the, in the same room. So, so learning to care for ourselves is extremely important around empathy. And I think a lot of the reasons that we see people who are not empathic is because they think that empathy will lead, you know, down a stairway into a place they can't get out of. And probably they're right. (laughs) Probably, you know, we've all seen that. Uh, It tends to be something women do. More readily than men do, but men can certainly do it. I think it's just a socialization issue. It's not that men can't empathize or can't become martyrs to empathy, but men tend not to be celebrated for that, whereas women are celebrated for it at all times, pretty much.
0: Well, they're celebrated until they finally lose it and blow a gasket, and then that, (laughs) you know, that B word comes out, you know, because. They they Right. Empathy looks like martyrdom and they can only handle that for so long. It's not sustainable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it isn't. And so <clears throat> I think that's one of the reasons empathy can look like a soft, you know, little, oh, how can I help you? Kind of nice, nice, nice skill. Um, and I think that certainly can be what empathy is if the empathizer doesn't really have any skills for the more intense emotions. So for a lot of people, empathy means I am going to make you happy. I'm going to make it so that you don't have to feel any challenging emotions. And so that everything is really nice on the surface level. Right. But I think almost all of us are kind of hungry and lonely for someone who can be with us when we're having emotions that really don't work. (laughs) you know, or that we really don't know how to work with or, or that everyone has told us. For instance, women who feel angry, there's a word for that, mm-hmm. and it's not a nice word. Um, we, we gender emotions so that women can't feel the normal human emotion of anger. We also, uh, for men, we gender grief and sadness so that we actually have a word for men who feel the normal human emotion of grief and sadness right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so sometimes the most empathic thing to do is be present when someone's having an emotion that, um, society tells them is unacceptable, but that doesn't tend to be what, a mo- what empathy looks like, right? It looks like, uh, pleasing behaviors. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, so I want, um, recently I had a friend who, uh, Going through stage four cancer, went through remission, mm-hmm. and then a couple months later, we we're on the phone, and uh, she shared with me that there was a a blood test that came back that wasn't encouraging, and um, and I was sitting there going, okay, how can I be empathic instead of sympathetic, right? Mm-hmm. And because for me, and please tell tell me where I'm wrong, but for me, empathy is about holding that space. Mm-hmm. Right. So that she can feel her emotions, but not for her to be responsible for mine. She's right. Mm-hmm. She has enough to deal with. And so yeah. the only thing I did was I just said, I am so sorry. That really sucks. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's true. Who wants to get a cancer report like that? Right. Or a blood test. Yeah. And later on we were talking and, uh, and I said to her, I said, you know, I was like, Because I just read something about empathy versus sympathy. And I was like, oh, what's the right thing to do again? And she goes, Crying, it was perfect because she goes, I already have doctors, you know, the best medical people to help me. I don't need that, right? So you don't need to come in and fix it. She goes, a lot of times I don't tell people about this because I can't hold that space for them. I'm trying to deal with my own emotions, right? Yeah. And so you you showed me that you cared, you held that space, but I didn't have to use energy to help make you feel better yeah and is so yeah. is that an example of empathy
1: i think so um sympathy and empathy it's it's troubling um because in different definitions people will actually use one for the other so you'll say sympathy is this and you go to another dic- dictionary and they'll say no that's empathy mm-hmm. so there isn't uh, there's uh, what I find in empathy research and empathy, even the words, is that there isn't agreement on what things mean. Mm-hmm. Generally, sympathy is being able to, generally, this is not true in all ways, which is why I didn't use the word sympathy in my book. But sympathy is the ability to um, understand what someone is feeling without feeling it yourself. So there's a separation. Mm-hmm. Whereas empathy is feeling alongside the person. Mm-hmm. So with empathy in a situation like that, you'd have to be really careful, right? Because maybe she's feeling some panic and despair and, or just resignation, mm-hmm. you know, or or shock. So you don't want to go into that with her because then you're both there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and so I think what you did was, you know, you, you made room for shock and anger, you know, that's, that's ridiculous, you know, that sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but without falling apart yourself. So I think that was a a wonderful empathic experience because the compassionate thing to do at that point was not to fall apart Mm -hmm. and it was not to give advice, Mm -hmm. even if that might've made you feel better. empathy yeah go
0: ahead it wasn't about me feeling better though
1: no 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 and that's empathy it's focusing on what the other person
0: needs and so then going back to my question of you know empathy and other people's feelings right Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. that i could go into that situation because i didn't like my ego didn't need to be let me show you how great i am or how smart i am right let me fix this for you right But because like the way I think of my life is in terms of buckets, how full is my bucket, meaning Mm -hmm. my self-care in these different sectors of my life. And so I really work on making sure those areas are full, not always, but, you know, that there's so that I can then come into this place where I can provide empathy, right? Otherwise, when those buckets weren't full and when I used to, you know, be this approval whore, Then it was, right? It was about, let me, 10 years ago, it'd have been a totally different conversation. Let me fix this for you. Do you know about this? Let me show you this. Let me show you how great I am, right? Mm -hmm. I would have been out there doing the dance. Yeah. But because my buckets were full, I could just show up and hold that space and walk alongside with her. That's what I was Mm -hmm. trying to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that would be empathy. The, the, After emotion contagion and empathic accuracy, right, you've picked up the emotion, you know what it is. There's also the third step, which I think is one of the most important, is emotion regulation. So having your buckets full would mean that you have a practice for your own life. You are not going to get overwhelmed in the presence of of her emotion, right? The next steps are perspective taking, understanding what she needs, not what you need, concern for others, which is caring enough to do something which you obviously did and then the final step in this process of empathy is perceptive engagement right you are aware and you're going to engage in a certain way and and do so uh, with the needs of that person in mind and you know sometimes you'll screw up and it's okay, you know, to try, to to say, Oh, you know, my mom had whatever. And then you'll hear this silence. And then she'll say, I didn't want to hear about your mom. Mm -hmm. Do do you know what I mean? And then you can say, whoops, and I'm going to recalculate. I'm recalibrating now. (laughs) Empathy back online. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean?
0: That,
1: That we can make mistakes with empathy and it's okay. It's okay to say, whoops, that's, you know, that's how we learn is, is reading people and listening to them and watching them and, and engaging. So when people say, you know, what's the best empathic, um, communication technique? And I said, there is no technique. It's a dance and the steps have not been written down anywhere it's, it's a, it's an interaction. Mm-hmm. It's not a technique,
0: not a blueprint.
1: Nope. Nope. <laughs> there's no map. Because you start going on the map, you know, I think we've all been in like communication workshops where you have to do this, this, and this, you know, and then people, people are like, wait a minute, is that an I statement or is that a you, I can't remember. (laughs) I'm like, Oh my word. Stop with all the techniques and just be with each other. Mm -hmm. But that can be hard. Techniques can be a nice, um, what would you call it? Um, armor. uh, Yeah. A nice armor.
0: Right. Let me focus on so this so I don't have can, to connect.
1: Yeah, yeah. let me make sure that I'm saying, you know, I'm saying the three different ways to do this and, and that I've had a feeling statement, a thinking <laughs> statement, and a needs or something like that. I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you. <laughs> but, but that is an important step for people to take, you know, that people want to learn to communicate. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Right. And that they want, they, they care enough to try something and try some kind of technique. That's wonderful. But in terms of empathizing with people, you're right that you need to be able to understand when it's about you and when it isn't. Mm -hmm. And, and, and to have, to have the, the self care that allows you that, that full feeling, right. So that when people need you, You can just sort of drop everything and be there for them. And that will feed you because you've done something that, you know, that's important to you. But if you don't have a full bucket, as you know, Mm -hmm. you may need to fix them. Mm -hmm. You won't need to be there with, you won't be able to be there with the suffering of another or the situation of another. You've got to fix it. So you'll feel better. (laughs)
0: But they because probably won't. You.
1: Yeah, no. I think advice, I, there's a reason it has the word vice in it. <laughs> I, I've seen the most violent blow-ups, you know, among family members and, and other people is when someone gives unwanted advice. You know, I've seen relationships break down over that. Um, because Because unwanted advice... It's, it's not only, you know, stuff you don't want to hear, but there's a suggestion in there that you don't know what you're doing. You know, that if you would just try this, um, I have a person close to me who has really severe depression and he's handling it brilliantly and doing everything he can, but it's still really severe depression and things aren't working and people lose their minds around him. Um, and they'll say things like, "Have you tried exercise?" I'm like, "No, no, he hasn't tried exercise because that's the most obvious thing." You know, mm-hmm. um, we made a joke uh, about it called, um, "Have you tried the all tomato diet?" Because people cannot stop themselves mm-hmm. from giving unwanted advice. Instead of saying, "Wow, that's intense," um, how do you feel about? How do you feel about your treatment? Are you finding anything that's working? Right? People never ask that.
0: Well, don't you think, I mean, I think about when I, if I can step into those shoes myself, it was, if I can give advice, I can help them, right? Yeah, I'm doing (laughs) something versus what I've had to learn is how can I hold the space, (laughs) right? (laughs) Where they can feel their feelings, where they can go through this experience. And how can I just hold that space? Because that is doing something. Yes,
1: that really is. And I know for me, uh, when I've had depression, I have really isolated myself, not because I want to so much, but I know that if I share depression, I'm going to bring people down, Mm -hmm. right, that they won't know what to do, and they'll fall, they'll fall into it. Uh, So they won't have good emotion regulation around depression. So I... You know, my depression might get worse because I have no one to talk to, which is one of the reasons therapy can be so helpful because many therapists have learned how to hold space for people and not, not fall apart.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, can you go back and restate those, was it the six parts of the mm-hmm. your model of empathy, just mm-hmm. so that the listeners can rewrite or write them down or add to sure. what they've written down?
1: Sure. The first is emotion contagion. And this is picking up whatever is in the room. The second is empathic accuracy. And that is knowing what emotion you've just picked up. The third is emotion regulation. That is your own capacity to work with that emotion in your own body and in your own life. If you don't have a practice for that emotion, empathy will probably stop right there.
0: Okay. Go ahead. We're going to come back to that. Go, go okay. through this list.
1: All right. Number four is perspective taking. It's the ability to say that's this person's emotion. It's not mine, right? So I don't have to go flying into it with them. I just need to pay attention to what's going on for them. Number five is concern for others, which is a really important one, but it does occur later. And that is to care enough about the person to go on to step six, which is perceptive engagement and in the research uh, all the first five are these are phrases from the research emotion contagion empathic accuracy emotion regulation perspective taking and concern for others perceptive engagement is my own phrase because in the research what this is called this would basically be compassion in everyday language but in the research it's called targeted helping or consolation. And I had some difficulty with that because it would mean that empathy is only happening when there is a need that requires consolation or help. And that isn't true. Um, Also, empathy is not always an action, but I do understand that in research, you've got to see an action so you can write it down right? You can't just have some inner process. You can't see that. and You can't write it down. So for research, we have to see an action. But I, I often say sometimes the most, most empathic thing you can do is nothing. For instance, uh, a man, a well-dressed man is walking down the street and he trips on a crack in the sidewalk. He doesn't fall, but he trips And the first thing he does is he whips his head around to see if nobody saw him. Empath, you did not see him, right? Your job is to turn away and pretend that you didn't see him because he's signaling so obviously that whatever happened to his foot is nothing compared to the shame he would feel at being seen to to trip, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you would keep, him in your peripheral vision and make sure that you know after the shock wears off he's not limping but but sometimes the most empathic thing you can do is nothing and it can look aloof but be empathic right and if if the idea is that empathy is always an action it's always an outward action then you know you might put on your empathy cape that's rainbow colored and run across the street and say oh I just saw you trip and I'm empathic right now, you know, and the guy is going to be like, the guy is going to be dying inside. Right. Because, Right. So, so perceptive engagement is that sometimes the most empathic thing you can do is nothing, especially for instance, if someone, have you ever had a situation where you are holding in your tears because you're in a public space and someone looks you in the eye and says, what's wrong and you totally lose it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you were handling it until that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really important to cry, but you can lose face in public for crying. It's uh, it's a serious uh, issue. Um, when I see someone who's holding up like that, I tend to give them a lot of space so they can continue to hold up. And then if I can pull them off to a private space where they won't lose face, I will. But But to always be, you know, trying to help people sometimes... Sometimes your help can be just a, a mess. It <laughs> can make things worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so perceptive engagement is making sure that the help is about the other person. It's not about you looking empathic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to go back to the um emotion regulation and mm-hmm. having a practice. I mean, and that goes back to you talking about when we um can identify the have our own language with the emotions yeah and what else does an emotion having a practice of emotion regulation what does that look like
1: for me it is knowing the names of the emotions knowing what their purpose is and understanding for instance um let's talk about a favorite emotion that everybody hates anger Mm -hmm. unless it's time to be angry and then everybody loves it right Um, because you made me angry um If you see anger, the way that we've been taught to see anger is that it is a bad emotion, it is a negative emotion, it is an antisocial emotion, and it is a sign that you're out of control. That's basically what we learn about anger. So if someone's angry in your presence, your empathy for that person is probably going to drop or it's going to move to a kind of, oh, poor thing. They don't know how to manage their emotions it's not going to be very focused on what that emotion is trying to do. I see emotions as a fundamental aspect of our cognition and motivation, and I see emotions as having their own um, um, genius and intelligence. Um, I see them as having uh, evolved over millions of years uh, to help us be socially successful primates, one would hope. <laughs> and so. Each emotion has a purpose and each emotion comes forward for a very specific reason. So anger comes forward in my understanding when a person's boundaries around his or herself or his self image have been broken. And so anger will come forward to give that person the strength he or she needs to deal with the wound that has occurred. Um, So if someone is throwing a lot of anger, Instead of saying, calm down, you know, or trying to jump on that emotion, I would tend to lean into it and help the person articulate what's going on. Um, If if it was a a little kid, you would say, use your words, right? But I might even say, uh, that was intense. I didn't like seeing what just happened. What's going on for you? right? Instead Mm -hmm. of, how dare you be angry toward me? Do you know, uh, Mm -hmm. or, or that is, that is an unacceptable emotion. How unprofessional of you, right? A lot of the ways that we work with other people's emotions and our own is to slap them down, to judge them, and uh, to make them unwelcome. And if emotions are a fundamental aspect of cognition and intelligence then slapping down emotions is helping other people to be less intelligent, less emotionally aware, and less functional.
0: So when we have our emotion, our own emotion practice, right, that's where we can differentiate and go, okay, I'm taking care of myself, and now I can pay attention and read what's going on with them, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. not lose myself. Mm -hmm. Right?
1: Yeah, and... and. For instance, uh, with anxiety, anxiety is a very powerful emotion. And I I don't know if you've been in a situation where someone is starting to sort of spin out with anxiety. I don't know. Did I do it? You know, when they they stop being able to breathe. Yes. Yes. And and how easy it is to get emotion contagion going for yourself and get jacked up. Right. Um, uh, Anxiety is a very is a very contagious emotion. Um, So if you don't have a practice for your own anxiety. That person is just going to be someone you want to avoid at all costs, right? You're not going to, after a few times of being with that person, you're probably just going to shine, you know, avoid, avoid eye contact and, and not want to deal with them. Um, but to understand what, uh, what anxiety is trying to do, what its purpose is, then you can start helping the person focus. Anxiety is a form of fear that comes forward when there are things in the future that you're not ready for, or you're procrastinating, so anxiety is like a is like a little bit of a cattle prod from inside the psyche, saying, "Dude, you are not ready for what's coming next. You need to get ready." And because people don't know that, um, in general, they don't know that they just start, you know, jumping around like little squirrels and losing their focus. Um, and so, with anxiety, if someone's really anxious, I will say, okay, so what needs to get done? What's the most important thing, right? So helping them focus. And then I can be a a support for that emotion and help them work it out without losing my own space. I'm taking direction from this person's anxiety. What's the most important thing? Let's write a list. Okay. So how, how do we get from there to here? How do, how do we, how do we make the future
0: more manageable,
1: right? Instead of God, would you stop it? Which is what most of us would say, right?
0: Yeah, because we either fight against it or we jump in with it, right? Maybe yeah. not with anxiety, but with sadness. We jump in with it and yeah. help them fondle it even further instead yeah. of being in that space. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or, or when someone cries, what's the first thing they say? Sorry. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Right? they There's a sort of like no welcome for emotions except happiness and contentment and joy, the three happiness-based emotions. There's more emotions than that, but I organize them into 17 categories to make things a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. But the poor happiness-based emotions, they're like exhausted because like, it's time for sadness. Let's put happiness on top of that. It's time for anger. How about some joy? It's time for anxiety. You know, how about more happiness? And happiness is like, really? Really? Because I was sleeping here. There's no reason for me to come forward at this time. (laughs) I also think that's a lot of the problem with what um, what we perceive empathy to be, which is at the end of a successful empathy session, people will generally feel some relief and happiness and closeness, but it's because we've gone through and helped support the emotions that are real and the situations that are actually happening. Right? The happiness and the relief come up as an, they're necessary at that point. They're appropriate at that point. I think a lot of people kind of mistake the process of empathy with the result. And so they see someone in trouble and they're like, cheer up, come on, it's not that bad. Right? They want to jump the line to the relief and the happiness without actually doing the process. Which is to say, whoa, this is this is sad. I'm sorry you're feeling this way. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Right? And then the person feels it and talks it out, and you're like, Yeah, that's you know, you're empathizing. Yeah, that's that's intense. Is there anything that you need right now? Okay, I can just listen. Right? And at the end of it, the person's like, whew. I feel so much better. Oh, my God. And they start laughing. And you get to that happiness and joy and, you know, the other sort of up-tempo emotions. But you arrive there honestly.
0: Well, so that's, I mean, that's what you're talking about with jumping the line is that we, there's a problem. We have this knee jerk. Let me fix it. So we don't have to, so you don't have to go through all this muck and, you know, struggle. Yeah. But really, you know, like my term is holding that space so they can work through it and going through that muck is what gets them through the other side.
1: Yeah, and each emotion has such just amazing information to give to us because each emotion evolved over billions of years or whatever to millions of years to help us understand ourselves and the social world and the world around us. Each emotion has its own genius But if all that we know to do with emotions is to jack them up into happiness or to slap them down or to ignore them or to shut them down on other people, then we are losing an incredible amount of information and we're losing our genius. Luckily, emotions don't care what we do. They'll come up every time they're needed. Um, and they'll continue to come up no matter how badly we manage them, no matter how terrible we are at emotion regulation, they'll keep coming up because they believe in us, right? So (laughs) I believe in you, man, um, you know, like try to, try to repress an emotion. Yeah. You'll see how that works. It's going to come back up. So if you can just get back into the flow of emotion and start to listen to emotions, um, yeah, uh, they'll they'll have the information for you and they'll be happy that they'll be happy that you're listening. Like, yay. <laughs> Finally, my owner is a little bit less stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and happiness will be like, whoo, I can rest now.
0: <laughs> so as we're wrapping up here, I can't believe our time has gone so fast. <laughs> like really. <laughs> We can keep talking. But as we're wrapping up here, what are a couple of takeaways for people when it comes to empathy? Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. I would say the most important thing is to understand that empathy happens all the time and we're already good at it. We already know how to do it. That empathy doesn't have to be these big put on your empathy rainbow cape and go save the day. Empathy happens in the smallest, tiniest moments where you see someone being rude at a restaurant and you look over at person at the next table and you two make a significant eye contact and you smile, right? That's empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Or when you're driving and you notice a driver is uh, on her cell phone and you move out of the way and you might honk if you see something that she's going to miss, that's empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, that empathy is is very simple we do it all the time but with all the misunderstandings about emotions and about compassion and about what it is to be with other people we tend to make empathy into some big um, production whereas as you say it's just holding space for people it's just calming yourself down and being available for others and So calming yourself (laughs) down—that's a part of emotion Mm. um, regulation. And having enough, having done enough work in your own life, and I guess, I guess, making sure that your own life is healthy and that you've got self-empathy means that you're going to have time for people. That you're going to have the time that other people need, which actually isn't very long. We 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 really don't get a lot of chance to speak or to be heard or to be seen. And you would think that if you finally let someone speak, that they would speak forever, but they don't, mm-hmm. they don't. So yeah, go ahead.
0: So that rush that we want to like, let me fix this because we don't have enough time. Yeah. That actually sounds like it, it. we're resisting it. makes Maybe makes it longer versus if we hold that space, allow it to occur. It's really not as long as we think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sort of like when people think if I cry, I'm going to cry forever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you can't cry forever. You just start laughing. You know, It you can cry for a while and then your body says, okay, that's enough. <laughs> you know, you move on. I've had enough of that. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> I think also learning enough words for emotions to be able to um, to increase your capacity for empathic accuracy to understand what is happening around you. Uh on my website I've got a free list called the emotional vocabulary list, which uh I wrote with a bunch of people on my on Facebook and on my website. I was like, we need to think, we need to create a list because people don't have enough words. So we found some just delightful words for emotions. Um so that so that you don't just have to be angry, you could be frustrated or peevish. You know, you could be all sorts of cool things. Um uh, to learn about emotions, to befriend them, to to welcome them, and to understand what it is that they're doing, instead of just bad or good or those simple, simple minded ways of looking at emotion.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely add that to our interview page, um, and along with your website, and I think that's on the past interview page too with you, Carla. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming back. I I could have kept talking to you for more longer, so we're gonna have to have you come back again. This has been fun. <laughs>
1: Thank you
0: so much. All right. I hope that helps you with understanding empathy and why it's important. And if you go back and you listen to that first interview I did with Carla about the, the language of our emotions, right? And how it's important because then you have a list. One of the things that I talk about often with people is that when you know what your values are, what your emotions are, it's like walking in to the grocery store it's your shopping list, right? When you walk in, it makes it very simple when you know this is the milk that we buy, this is the meat we buy, this is the sections I shop in, these are the sections I don't. Otherwise, it can be overwhelming. You can be there all day. But so part of this process of understanding empathy and practicing empathy is being able to understand your emotions. And I think one of the things that I really want to highlight, it's important to me, because the work I do with people is so often I see women you know, take care of others at the sacrifice of themselves. And I used to be really keen on doing this myself. And that goes to that martyrdom that Carla was talking about, right? And it's really about filling up those buckets, filling up those things that make you feel full that so that you can be your best self, so that you can be resilient and you can take care of others. One of the things that Brene Brown said on the show was that your ability to love other people is directly correlated to your ability to love yourself like if you you ha- can't give it if you don't have it so so often we'll say oh it's okay i'm going to love them more than i love me or i'm going to go take care of them but remember what i said earlier in the show we will do that at some point it's not sustainable and that's where the blow comes and that's where women get called those b words right and or that we're too emotional cuz the buckets of tears come because at some point we break and the idea is really to be about how can we be resilient? And a lot of times I'll tell like my swimmers, I'll say, look, my goal for you is to be resilient. How can I teach you how to be resilient so that when hard times comes, you don't crumble? I say, and I always show the trees. I said, see these trees, they're resilient. Storms come, things so out of their control, right? A tree's rooted in the ground. They can't go for cover. Storms come, sunshine happens. It's hot. They may not get the water that they need. But they're resilient and the strong ones continue to flourish, right? Where the weak ones or the unhealthy ones may break. And so the idea is to be able to bend in the wind, is to be able to withstand the storms. And that's about resiliency. And so that goes back to taking care of, like what she had said, emotional regulation, right? Taking care of knowing our own emotions. And for me, about knowing my emotions, it's also been about what are the things that fill me up? Right? What are the things that are important that so my buckets are full? And so for instance, for me, sleep is really important. Right. I try to go a lifetime without sleep and I only created a bunch of health problems by doing that. Right. So sleep is really important. I can function so much better versus thinking, oh, I'm gonna fix this with a bunch of coffee today. That's short term, and then I will fry and die. I thought that was just normal to have these ups and downs. Right? Sleep's really important. Spending time by myself is really important. One of the things that I realized is that, as Susan Cain points out, I'm an ambivert, right? I get energy from going within. I also get energy from being with people. And that's why my life is structured in this manner where I do a lot of one-on-one stuff and I do small group stuff. And then later in the day, I'm out with the kids at the pool because I really feed off of that energy. But then I need to come back home and I need to get back and get grounded and fill my buckets up. And sometimes it's by myself, sometimes it's reading, sometimes it's exercising, whatever they are. But knowing what fills up your buckets, right? And I always know, here's another question that Corinne's asking, how am I going to fill, you know, go test it out, right? Ask yourself the question and see and just notice, does this fill me up, right? Is this what I need right now? Is this what, you know, I'm really hungry for in terms of what I desire and pay attention. So I used to think, oh, I just love being with people and I want to be with people and I want to be with people. And then at some point I would shut down. So knowing how to fill your buckets is so, so important in this path of empathy because then you can be at your best self so that you can regulate yourself and that you're not jumping in with their pity party, but can really hold that space for them so that they can go through the process. It's not about you fixing it. I used to do that all the time and I probably still do it sometimes, right? Is try to fix them because then it was like, let me show you how smart I am. Let me show you how brilliant I am. It was my ego and it was that, you know, me dancing around to try to get people's approval. Versus when you can hold that space and just let them go through their process. You can ask them questions. How do they feel? What is it that they want? You know, if they're in a state of anxiety like Carla was talking about, helping them process that to get out of that state of anxiety and noticing how long does it really take them when they do it that way versus, you know, when people try to fix, I sometimes I'll have friends that will try to solve my problems and I I start to shut down because that's not what it's about for me at that moment, right? I'm still trying to process and I'm trying to figure it out and I like to figure things out. So holding space, I invite you to think about that as you leave the show today about how can you hold space for other people in this empathy And one thing that's really important to remember that Carla said is that we all have it. It's all within us. It's not a relief. It's not another thing you need to go learn. You have it. So go and practice it. You know, if if the 17 emotions are too much for you, simple it down, simplify it down to like five emotions. Right? And practice it. And then maybe add another one. It's all learnable and you already have empathy. So go practice and let me know how it goes. Drop me an email. Put a, uh, leave something on uh, Twitter or Facebook. Let me know how it goes. Go practice. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space. So you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so wide